Hello again, and welcome back to Farringdon Film. I hope you enjoyed the previous episode and the run-through of all the required learning for Ferris Bueller's Day Off. If you haven't yet listened to that one, I would advise that you go back and listen to it before you dive into this commentary. This is obviously the commentary episode for Ferris Bueller. I'm not going to go through the spiel of why I do these commentaries. It should be pretty pretty apparent now of the kind of the idea of how you use them so you would watch them when you re-watch the film, when you revise for the exam and all that kind of stuff. And it's just going to be chock full of different things, different bits of analysis and all that kind of stuff that essentially forms good revision for you. So, with that being said, at the time of recording, which I'm not going to lie, is Saturday the somethingth of June. It's right at the beginning of the month. Um, This film is on Netflix, so it might be easier for you to just kind of load up Netflix, press play on Netflix, and then carry on with that. If not, I'm sure that I'll be able to update the social media with where you can find it in order for you to kind of go across with this so if we are ready then i'm going to press play uh once again i'll kind of mute on and off and drop in with different little bits of things but we are starting with first people's day off it's one hour 43 minutes so in three two one play starting off with the paramount logo So first of our key sequences is the opening scene. Familiar name there for John Hughes. So our establishing shot. Classically suburban, upper middle class home. A white house. Iconographic. I've even just said that wrong. It's an icon. Iconography of the American dream. Complete with three new cars parked out front. First time we see his parents, as in point of view shot, positioning the audience as the child or as Ferris in the scene. Is Jeannie. So this point of view rack focus, so the idea that the focus is switching, you know, is he's squinting, it's, it's that idea that we're believing is ill at this point. So the introduction of Jeannie is quite staggered, so we get a close-up of her foot tapping, the close-up of her hands on the hips before the reveal of the face. It's edit, so it's slow. Um, it's not a slow pan. It's done so that it's not essentially a male gaze shot. We're not interested in her of kind of like a figment of desire or an object to desire in many ways that films who consider the male gaze would traditionally shoot a female. It's showing that she's introduced as an aggressor or an antagonist. She's not sexualized like Sloan is later on.
Massachusetts shoots her field teenage audience of excitement to demonstrate how Burris is in the scene. A uh, few scenes in the film that adopt the kind of MTV music video style montage. The montage starts the MTV ad and to give us increasingly popular the 80s and expand the 80s. So, Ferris is rude. And when he opens the curtains, actually, first of all, there's a shot of the outside looking solidifying Ferris's position as a And his room is filmed with the trappings of an 80s teen in the communist America. So, it's a TV stereo synthesizers, a computer, high-value goods at the time, even though Ferris complains that he wasn't given a car. So his performance here, the direct parent, uh, the direct camera even, I read the fake and not parent, direct camera. So his performance is breaking the fourth wall. It becomes clear that this isn't a realistic approach. The audience, we are invited into this world. He talks to us like his friends. It's meaning that we're implicated in his wrongdoing or passive observers, yet we're just as guilty as him, or are we actually acting as his conscience? Are we him kind of having to go through it in his head and justify everything that he's doing in his head? So the text on screen, him faking out his parents, pushing that sense of postmodern. So Ferris is aware that he's in the film, that's why he's talking, he's breaking the fourth wall. It's the postmodern. The term postmodern, again, to kind of go back to that, is the idea of an act of consciousness. It's a character knowing breaking the fourth wall, referring to the kind of fake or winking at the audience in the same way that, so, for example, just because it popped into my head, Matthew Broderick plays very If this was at a time where maybe the Lion King was simple, maybe talk simple and give a bit of a wink to the audience, and say, yeah, I know this is a little bit fake, because I'm the voice of this. That, that might not make a lot of sense. It's like Ryan Reynolds doing it. Play it that the whole thing from Deadpool about Hugh Jackman, that's that So, this is almost like a public service announcement. This is Ferris Bueller acting as a voice to us, he's informing us of everything that he's about, he's pulling us into his work. So, he's given us instruction. Ferris is described as a great guy, almost like everybody in the film as we progress through, and this is our way of getting to like him, want to be his. And now we get into the kind of the meme-centric. Bueller, Bueller. I was going to make the really strange, I suppose not strange, observation that Cameron's house looks a little bit like the house on X-Men. But then I'd wait for somebody to, to kind of say to me, well, it's the same set. I don't know if it is. Maybe that's something I'll look into. But it's quite isolated, which tells us a lot about Cameron's life. Ferris has uh, got himself into actual lounge. Whereas Cameron's actually ill. 
probably the catalyst for Ferris deciding to have a day. Sherma, a reoccurring trait. Actually, a fictional place in uh, Illinois. Almost the kind of John Hughes universe that they all exist in. This actress who plays the principal's receptionist is quite a frequent collaborator of uh, John Hughes films as well. She's in Hawthorne, playing trains and automobiles. I read something quite interesting about the the character of the principal, of Ed Rooney. And John Hughes took the actor around where John Hughes had grown up and they went into the school and they, they spoke to the principal and they met with the principal. And the actor didn't really understand why John Hughes was introducing the principal, John Hughes's actual old principal, to the actor. And then when the principal went to come and retrieve something, he kind of leaned over to one side. And it was actually revealed that John Hughes's old principal was actually holding a gun on his waist. He had a gun and a holster on his waist. And John Hughes gave him a nudge and said, and then the, the actor instantly got it and just said, ah, that's how you want me to play this character then.
this was quite an interesting scene to read up about. Apparently, John Hughes invited Matthew Broderick, who plays uh, Ferris Bueller, Alan Rock, who plays Cameron, to the set. And they were elsewhere. They weren't in the kind of the studio or the set that was built to record and to film this scene. They were elsewhere on set. And the phone calls all happened live so that the actors could play off their reactions a little bit better and it could be a bit more improvised and things like that.
Okay, so this scene in the museum has a lot of montage-style editing. There's a lot of static shots, whether the camera, when either the camera or the characters move. It's done to reflect the nature of the art that they're looking at. It's quite a good use of movement in the shot that I missed earlier with uh, Ferris's dad and the taxi, the way that they kind of positioned that and probably choreographed it as well. So Cameron's performance here, as the film cuts between his face and that of a painting that gets ever closer, it just increases every time. It's reflecting his emotions. The second half of the clip reflects the vibrancy of the city and Ferris's energy and ambition.
Okay, so we're now in the parade scene. So the cinematography in this scene is a lot of Chicago landmarks, showing off the impressive architecture of Chicago, with a lot of long shots down the parade route. Uh, it's covered in American flags, so it almost appears as though the shots are at times. It's framing ferries on the floor, but it looks at the corners of the frames and the reflections of the windows, and the American flag is almost like a celebration so the whole scene in essence is a celebration of america's greatness and diversity and the advert for the american dream that's pinpointed and kind of anchored down by the use of the flags the happy smiling faces the different ages the statuses the race all dancing together cameras placed in the crowd we're all looking up at ferris we're in wonder of him he's part of the masses he's in an elevated position on the floor in uh society as well as being as, as a wealthy white male so what i mean by that is that around the time of the 80s economic boom, where white middle-class people would have been the kind of centre point of society, that's definitely what's coming across here in this scene with Ferris. The implementation of the use of a Beatles song, um, so the idea of when he starts singing Twist and Shout, it's the idea of Beatlemania, so everyone's kind of like pandering around him. The sound of the crowd, the music bleeding into his dad's office, connoting the celebration of America, the celebration of youth. Uh, they can't be stopped and they're embraced by all generations. Now, this is totally different to what we saw in Rebel Without a Cause, where they didn't really know what to do with teenagers, and now it, they're being celebrated. They've kind of they've come one into their own, essentially. The other interesting element about this scene, other than the parade and the Ferris attention that he's getting, is the conversation between Cameron and Sloane. So this scene allows us to see how Cameron is both worried about the future, but he's somewhat accepting of it. Ferris is much more impulsive. The cinematography is key here, so the lighting is high key, the scene is colourful, it's full and busy of extras, the prop and the city and all that kind of stuff. So when we see Sloane and Cameron having their conversation, they're in a medium shot or a mid shot, mid to close up shot, Broadly at eye level, Ferris, however, is often seen from below at a distance in that kind of sense of admiration. So this is essentially, as much as Ferris is seen, it's almost Cameron's scene as well, because we're getting to see a lot more about his, his vulnerability, really.
And then right at the end, Ferris is positioned to be in the centre of the crowd. He's heart of the joyous Mysteria. He's the king of this culture. The crowd are worshipping him. And he's brandished with a silver cane. At that point, he's the ringmaster. He's a rock star. He's a hero.
quite a, an interesting quote from Cameron, showing his development through the film. I was going to turn to the fact that his relationship with his dad is undermined his own destiny so far. And it's got the themes of fear, rebellion, conflict, peer pressure, and how they've affected Cameron. And this is all coming to the front here with him damaging the car.
Okay, so kicking off the kind of final scene, the classic scene, which has been parodied many times, including quite recently with Spider-Man Homecoming, as I've mentioned on previous podcasts. Um, so it's interesting to see that initially, Ferris's mum is more concerned with her job and her success rather than Jeannie's arrest for speeding. This seems to emphasise the themes of capitalism and materialism, so this idea that she's more bothered about um, the fact that she lost, I think it's the Vermont job, and she was going to use the money to buy Ferris a car, and it was just about that kind of accumulation of different things that they were going to get, and she's upset with Jeannie that she's not been able to do that, rather than why Jeannie's been arrested. The scene is especially noted for its great use of parallel editing. Um, so there's three different narratives that are happening at once. So there's the idea of Ferris is trying to run home, Jeannie's trying to beat Ferris home there. The parents are going home as well at the same time. Ed Rooney's still knocking about somewhere. And we get cross cuts between the three. Some really interesting sound effects. So the cartoonish skidding noise at one point that Ferris makes. And the slow motion sound of Ferris creating an exaggerated and a comedic tone. So this is a scene that is designed to make us laugh. And is designed to kind of make us go, oh is he going to make it back on time? There's, there's a little bit of a tension there that's going on.
All right, guys, I'm just going to jump in here while Ed Rooney is walking the streets after the uh, at the end and the credits roll and before Ferris comes back for an Easter egg. Uh, just a couple of quick things. First of all, I just wanted to apologise if there's any kind of sound distortion or anything like that on this podcast. I realised after recording it that sometimes it dropped out and sometimes it went back up again. I've hopefully rectified that because I've gone back in the day after to kind of redub over some different things. So if I sound different at all, it's because I've gone back in and re-recorded it. So hopefully I caught everything. If not, I'm sure that it's still fine for you to kind of carry on and understand everything that happened anyway. Um, secondly, I am back next week with another podcast. Um, I am once again joined by Sam Manicherry and we are going to talk about the teenage film franchise american pie to kind of wrap up our teen thread uh that we've that's been on the podcast because we've been through things like the required learning for rebel that cause and ferris bueller's day off we've had commentaries for rebel and for ferris we've gone through the teen genre i looked at the films of john hughes with james king and to kind of cap it all off with a franchise series uh with, with the franchise series and with the franchise episode me and sam are going to talk about american pie so you can help support Fire and Film by becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash Fire and Film. You can follow us on Twitter at Fire and Film. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Fire and Film. And you can leave a five star review at your favourite podcast provider. Stay safe, stay indoors, look after each other, and I will see you next time.